There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today we're going to be talking about adversity. Now, in my experience, everybody I've interviewed at the senior levels in organizations has had a number of adverse events. So I would argue that adversity is a fact of life. However, not all of us cope particularly well with the challenges that it's presented. And it seems to be that those that can learn to manage the adverse situations better are the ones that go home with less stress and ultimately more successes at the end of the day. I think that this whole notion of dealing with adversity and resilience and being able to bounce back and to learn from mistakes is really the heart and soul of what we mean when we talk about agility today. So that's what we're going to talk on today. I want to talk about how do you learn from adversity. I want to talk about what are the secrets of people who've managed to succeed through adverse events. And ultimately, what does that tell you about how you can become more agile? Now, my guest today is a specialist in this area, Steve Gavatorta, owner of the Steve Gavatorta Group, has specialized for most of his career in empowering people and organizations to identify, develop, and exceed performance goals. He's worked with a number of industries from pharmaceutical to healthcare to consumer packaged goods to finance to media to modeling to advertising. It's quite a broad range both in small businesses on the move all the way up to Fortune 500 and 100 companies. Um, So, And Steve has a book that is going to be the heart of what we're talking about today. The book's title is In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Successes. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here and uh, discuss this all-important topic. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to hear your work on this one and your perspective about it as well. So, you know, just out of curiosity, what led you to write this book on adversity? Why adversity is a topic? Yeah, I mean, it's a personal interest. I come from a uh, small hometown in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where uh, it was known for coal mines, zinc mines, a natural influx of immigrant families. And they came here with nothing, not speaking each other's language yet became hugely successful. And I think a lot of the drive or a lot of the reasoning behind the success of this small area is the adversity that these people faced. It made them and it didn't break them. Um, In addition, it's a passion of mine. If you currently Google the phrase, how to deal with adversity, it returns over 21 million responses. <laughs> so this is obviously a hot topic. So it's not just me. There's a lot of people seeking answers for this, uh, this around this topic. And then lastly, you know, I say we are in a very fast-paced, high-tech, ever-evolving world, ever-changing world. Adversity, change, the need to respond faster to um, uh, bosses, clients, is, it, it's speedier than ever. Adversity is hitting us faster than ever, and it's leaving us little time to respond in a productive manner. And I think people in, this, in these days really don't know how to handle it effectively, especially with the speed at which it's hitting us. You think about it, Wanda. We go to school and learn reading, writing, arithmetic, right? We learn the fundamentals of how to do math or how to read. In sports or a job, we have proper training on to how to prepare us for that job or in a sporting event. Think about life. We really have no foundational training on the, uh, the difficulties of life, how to handle that. So I think all these things hitting together lead to a very interesting topic that uh, a lot of people can find value in. So that was the key driver. Those were the key drivers, I should say. I I love that. It goes back to this whole notion of immigrant families in mining town. It's interesting. I agree with you, though, that adversity seems to be a more relevant topic today than ever before. Pace of change is part of it. 
Um, but it's also, I find everybody is so worried about risk and risk profile. Yeah. And when you're trying to make sure there's no risks in anything, what that ultimately means is you're driving for perfection. And perfection plus, we've stripped out too many resources, so people are doing, trying to do too much in any single job. There's no time, and you just add a new boss coming in, and there is no marginal time to deal with anything. And I see tempers on a very short fuse, yeah. and I see the consequences of that working its way down the organization. And I, I think all of this boils into we really all need to be better at adversity. Whether adversity is a mistake, a change in the market, or just a boss that doesn't suit me, I think they all count. Absolutely. It runs the gamut. You know, I think uh, probably one of my toughest clients, uh, I've uh, owned my business for 15 years. I spent 21, prior to that, I spent 21 years in corporate America. My last job, I was calling on a very large retailer uh, who was very influential in the New, New York, New Jersey metro marketplace, a very tough customer. And my key decision maker, my buyer, was probably the toughest person I ever dealt with. Hugely impatient, and and my need to respond to him uh, was a driver for him. How fast I could get back, how fast I could solve problems, and that's 15 years ago. Imagine how how tougher that would be now with how technology has advanced. So I think it uh, feeds into your points as well. So. Yeah, I think all of this, I think, is just hugely relevant. Okay, so Steve, let's yeah. dig into how, because I think you're right. A lot of people need more advice and guidance on this how thing. And there are three components we're going to talk about in the course of the show. But first, I want to talk about one of the things you think is the absolute most important starting skill is this ability to read yourself. What do you mean by that, and why does that matter so much? Right, right. Just to take a step back, you know, there's no silver bullet for dealing uh, with adversity. Adversity comes in many forms, and it's deeply personal. What might be a, a, a challenge, a positive challenge for one person, is a deeply difficult obstacle for yet another. So, how it affects us is based on our background, our experiences, and how it how we deal with it varies as well too. It's incumbent on us to learn those things that in our lives that may trigger us into a adverse feeling or an adverse-based response, what that might feel like so we can handle it accordingly, once again, how we deal with that. It's something uh, I, 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 like, uh, I don't like uh, change thrown on my plate la- uh, last minute. It takes me time to think things through when change strikes fast. Hence, that can create adversity in my life. You know, if, if I'm forced to make decisions, I'm forced to make a change real quick without having the time to think that through, whereas other people are stimulated by change. You know, the ability to, to ch- change on a dime, think of, our, you know, uh, creative ways to handle difficult things. That's a motivator for others. So it really depends on ourselves and our ability to know those things that affect us and how it does, whether it's a freeze, fight, or flight mode or whatnot. My book, you know, as I said, there's no silver bullet for overcoming adversity or facing it, but my book attempts to do three things. First, help people assertively face those obstacles in our, in, in our lives because so many people run away from them. So first thing is face them, assertively face them. Secondly, hopefully overcome those obstacles and at the least learn a valuable lesson. I'm a firm believer that the adversity in our lives is meant for us to evolve into the pe- people we were meant to become. So if we can at least face it, we may not overcome it, but that adversity is placed in our life or that difficult person is per- placed in our lives for a reason to help us evolve. I love that. Evolve into the person we were intent to become. You said in there, so for let me just kind of summarize this one. The notion is what affects me adversely isn't going to affect somebody else. And your example is a great one. So I need to know what it is that triggers me into a response, either a freeze, a flight, or a fight response. Those are the three Correct, correct. And they can, com- they can come in different combinations. Uh, my book talks about brain functionality, the importance of understanding brain functionality and our personal responses to adversity. There's two important parts of our brain. One is called the, our limbic system. The other is called the cortex. And I talk about this inten- extensively in my book. 
the limbic system is, is our emotional brain, our reptilian brain. It's what we had back in, when we were cave and, cavemen and women, and it's what we're born with. It doesn't evolve or develop through time. So it was useful years, really useful years ago when we were cavemen or women. You know, a lion roared, uh, our adrenaline started rushing, and we knew to do what? Run or run away, get away from that, because our limbic system taught us to do that. Basically, when adversity strikes and we're in that limbic system state of mind, our adrenaline starts rushing and our response is going to be emotional. Either freeze, flight, or fight, or a combination of those three. Our cortex part of the brain is our, the part of the brain that develops through time. It develops through learning, experience, um, training and development. That, that's, how our, that's the part that evolves. That's where rational thinking, that's where reasoning, that's where logic reside. So when adversity strikes, we don't respond emotionally. We respond logically based on experiences, based off of training, and the understanding that we have options. We don't have to freeze, fight, or flight. We have an option to solve this in some capacity. And that's where I talk about, that's why that, uh, you know, being able to assertively face the difficulty will drive first the ability to successfully overcome it or at least learn that valuable lesson. If I learn that valuable lesson from a difficult time, I am essentially triggering my cortex to build as a learning experience for some time down the road. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. And I think you're right that the when there's adversity, that is triggering all the physiological responses in your body, all the hormonal responses, adrenaline, cortisol, all of those. Correct. And there is no rational thinking happening at that moment. You may think there is, but until we get past that point, there isn't. It's the cortex that's then going to kick in and develop that rational thinking. So Correct. This, what I talk about in my book is is the the need to prevent the transfer of authority from the cortex to the limbic system, because when an adverse situation strikes, once we're in that freeze fight or freeze flight or fight mode, it is very difficult to get out of that. It's almost snowball effect. Once again, that adrenaline starts rushing. We can't see our way out of that. So the need to fall back on experiences, training, uh, learnings is key to not transferring authority to the limbic system. In addition, as I said earlier, that mindset, that I, if I can set that mindset that, hey, adversity is going to happen, what can I learn from it now? Instead of that, that enables our cortex to kick in and prevents that transfer of authority into that limbic system, that freeze, fight, flight, or fight mechanism. Okay. Okay, so all of this comes from my ability to understand what it is that triggers me, that's going to trigger that limbic system. So what are the skills I need to, how do I go about doing that? What's the best tricks for understanding my triggers? Yeah, let's, uh, two, two, two things you have to do up front, then there's some personal, uh, really personalized things we can do. My book talks about initially two things, acceptance and acknowledgement. The first one is to simply put, accept that adversity and difficulties are going to happen in our lives. You know, so many people go through life hoping things or expecting things are going to happen, and then when it does, they're totally surprised and put up and what's put off, and once again, that kicks them into that emotional state. So the first thing you have to do is realize, listen, difficulties happen. Adversity strikes. There are difficult people out there. That's the first thing to do is accept that that is going to happen. Secondly, acknowledge the fact that these things are brought into our lives for a reason. I truly believe that adversity is meant to happen to help us evolve into the people we were meant to become. Because I can tell you from personal experience, Wanda, my most difficult times have proven to be my best times. Mm-hmm. So that's the first shot across the bow. Secondly, I, uh, I talk about various behavioral assessments as a way of better understanding yourself and predicting those things that may trigger a, an adverse response and what your limbic response might be. I'm certified in a multitude of uh, uh, Carl Jungian-based assessments, Myers-Briggs, DISC. Are, are you familiar with those? Yes, I know those. Yes, very well. 
Yeah, in my book, I specifically talk about the DISC behavioral assessment, those four behavior styles, dominance, influence, steadiness, and compliance. If I know my behavior style, whether it be Myers-Briggs, DISC, or another type Carl Jungian assessment, I'm going to be able to better predict those things that may trigger that adverse response and what that adverse response may look like. Is it freeze, fight, or flight, or a combination of those three? As an example, I'm a, in disc terms, I'm a high S or steadiness style mixed with a little dominant style. Hence, when adversity strikes, when something sets me in that limbic state, I will be a freezer and a fighter. (laughs) I'll first freeze, then I'll fight. So the point is, I've learned to connect the dots between those things that uh, cause me to go in that emotional state and what it feels like so I can better, in turn, manage that response more effectively. Okay. All right. Um, And, you know, there are multiple systems for doing this. DISC is certainly one of them, and that makes a ton of sense with what you said. Myers-Briggs would have some others. Um, Those people who work with me know that I'm a big fan of FIRO-B. Yep. Another yep. Jungian theory or assessment-based theory. And in that one, we talk about three things that trigger us. And for me, those are particularly useful because we talk about when I'm feeling insignificant or I'm not feeling as significant as I want to feel, it kicks in that um, defensive mechanism, that trigger. Or if I'm not feeling as competent as I want to feel, or if I'm not feeling as liked as I want to feel. And the assessments will tell you which of those three really are the biggest three for you and when it's not going to look the way you want it to look. And therefore, you can kind of be a little more aware of the triggers that are likely to happen in those those places. So exactly the same. So, you know, my first is admit that stuff is going to happen. Whether I am a brilliant manager or a leader or individual or not, it's just going to go wrong or go wrong according to my plans and acknowledge that when it does, there's an opportunity to learn and then to begin to use a variety of different assessments or techniques to understand what is most likely to trigger me, what am I going to do, freeze, flight or fight and then what does that feel like so I could recognize it in the moment? I could see it, sense it physiologically in the moment. Did I get that straight? Yeah, exactly. Because the more that self-knowledge, the more self-knowledge I have, the more I'm going to be able to be aware and handle that accordingly, handle that in a positive light, in a positive manner. And as I said earlier, this is more important now than ever because the fast pace that we're in. You know, yeah. we're getting hit so fast with change, conflict, the need to respond to a client, need to respond to a boss, uh, need to deal with change effectively. It's leaving us little time to respond. Hence, we are more susceptible to fall into that limbic emotional response. Without that self-knowledge, the ability to fall quicker is going to, ha- is going to be more prevalent. With, my, with that self-knowledge, I'm going to be able to better handle this crazy, crazy world we're in. So that you're spot on. And I, like I said, I think that's why it's so important because of the world we're in now. Uh, we're getting hitting faster than ever. The need to respond in a proactive manner is, is of the utmost importance as well, too. Okay. All right. That makes a ton of sense. All right. So, Steve, we're going to take a break at this point, but we have to pick back up with this notion of both how do I understand how my past plays into this as well as what are my tactics to be sure that I'm responding in the right way in the when the adversity hits. Correct. So with with me today is Steve Gavatorta. The book, if you're interested, is called In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Successes. What we're talking about is the fact that everybody is hit by adversity in some form or another, be that a change in a way you weren't expecting it, um, a manager or something going wrong, a mistake that happens on your watch, any number of things, stuff goes wrong or doesn't go to plan. And it's a matter of how do we use those to create a learning opportunity for us that allows us to evolve into the people we were meant to be. As Steve has said, key key components here are acknowledging that it's going to happen, um, accepting that this is a learning opportunity, 
and then learning what is it that creates your biggest triggers and what's your most likely response, freeze, flight, or fight. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how the past plays into all of this and what you can do about it. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Steve Gavatorta, and Steve is with the Gavatorta Group, having spent the last 15 years empowering individuals and organizations to identify, develop, and exceed performance goals. One of the things that Steve believes is that adversity hits all of us in one form or another, and most on our response to adversity is typically a limbic system, meaning an emotional response. There's an opportunity in that limbic system response to get a tiny bit of control over it, to flip it to the cortex, to learn and to evolve in the process. And in doing that, the secrets are recognizing this happens to everybody, acknowledging that it has now happened to you and that that's okay and that you're going to learn from it. And then three is understanding in advance what are your triggers likely to be, where are they coming from. And then the next piece is really understanding about your past. So, you know, everybody says your past experiences play into how you react. Okay, yes, I understand that. But how do I begin to think about what parts of my past experience are actually relevant? Correct. Are are you asking me now that question? That's a question. Absolutely. That's a question. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) I was waiting for you to finish. Yeah. um, And uh, the way I look at it is, you know, I want to look at this falling back on the past, falling back on only the past, past learnings and experiences. Um, and I want to focus this more on the positive aspect of those things in our past. You know, our experiences, anything in life, prepare us for future events if we allow it. My point is life is, will help us learn lessons that prepare us to fall more into that cortex state of mind. You think about it, Wanda. We, in, in, once again, if we're in school, we learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. We learn first addition, then we learn subtraction, then we learn uh, multiplication tables. We take these things in our lives steps at a time to prepare us down the road. If we did not have those past learnings or experiences, we would not be prepared for future things. So my whole point is our, our life lessons, the past can be building blocks and learnings if we're first of all aware or if we can go back and connect the dots as to how those past things taught us a valuable lesson. So for me, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, from my book, um, I have a chapter called The Summer from Hell. It's essentially my end of my junior year in college. My parents, uh, I'll make a long story short, our house collapsed in a coal mine. Unbeknownst <laughs> to us, our house was in a coal mining room. And um, we didn't know that, and unfortunately, our house collapsed in the mine. Um, And I came home to work for my father's business soon thereafter. My father owned a produce market, and each year I ran the market, my dad would teach me something new. 
The first year, it might have been ordering. The second year, it might have been learning how to deal with customers. Third year, it might have been deliveries. You know, so he, in my past, he was teaching me skill sets uh, to, to, you know, to become more knowledgeable about the business each year. While we were dealing with the house simultaneously, my father started complaining about his lung collapse, or lung being uh, sore, being unable to breathe. At that time, probably the only thing my father didn't teach me was how, to, how he priced things. What were the profit margins on the various products of the produce we sold? So with his lung ailing or house ready to, you know, dealing with the house situation, I figured, well, maybe it's time you teach me how you do your margins, how you price things. So he did. Thank goodness, because the next day he was laid up in the hospital with a collapsed lung. So here we are. Here I am, a, what, 20-year-old kid. We're, we have no place to live. We're living in an apartment, dealing with the house collapsing. My father is now laid up in a hospital. I'm 20, 20 years old. What do I do? My head felt like I want, for initially, my head felt like it was ready to explode. I, I felt like the world, worst thing had happened to me ever. However, it didn't last long because... After about a minute, I had a strange sense of calm come about me. The realization that I know, I know I can handle this. I know how to do this. Essentially, all those past times, all those past years my father was teaching me different skills was ultimately preparing me for this moment. Not overtly aware that, hey, his lung was going to collapse and I'm going to need Steve to run the store, but he was preparing me if an emergency happened, here's what Steve would need to do. My point of this is all those past experiences, those learnings my dad taught me, prepared me for this moment of great adversity in my life. As it ended up, I ran the family business that summer. My dad, as he was healing, he was dealing with a new house being rebuilt. And by the end of the summer, I had successfully run the store, and it was one of our best years ever. By the time I was ready to go back to college, my dad was healed, and um, he was ready to go back to work. End of my senior year at college, I had more job offers from anyone in my, in my fraternity and football team than anyone else, primarily because it wasn't because of my grades. It wasn't because of my major. It was because of the story about how I was able to run my parents' market that summer despite all this adversity. My point being is those past experiences prepared me for a truly, truly difficult situation that enabled me to not only survive it but thrive in it and help drive my life the rest of my life. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. Um, What I know or what I've seen with people who deal with adversity is there is the emotional response, as we were just talking about in the first segment, that limbic response. The people who stay in that limbic system response are the ones who struggle and can't sleep and have stress responses and, you know, all sorts of craziness I've seen over the years. It's the people who can figure out what to do next are the ones that seem to get moving and find their way out of it. And what's interesting is what you're saying here is you had that sense of panic at the very beginning and that led immediately to a sense of calm because you knew what to do. That means you went back to your past experiences. What have I learned? What do I know? What's my next step? And that's what got you back to that sense of calm. Is that a fair summary of how this all happened? Oh, exactly. If I did not have those experiences, I might have folded. And, and, you know, I might have not, I might have panicked. I might have said I couldn't do this. We may have sh- had to shut the market down. And, I, I, and it would, would have been a, very, you know, significantly more difficult experience. And imagine this, Wanda. Imagine what would have happened in my life going forward if I had done that. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be who I am today. It, it, would have, it may have been a traumatic experience. I may have lost confidence. And it could have snowballed in the negative when, in turn, it snowballed in the, in the positive. It not only made me a man in a short time, it gave me a great deal of pride, it gave me skill sets, and helped me kick off my uh, fantastic corporate career simply because of that experience. As I said, companies didn't care about my grades. They didn't care about my major. They were mesmerized by the skills that I needed to run that market that summer. 
you know, instantaneously, I proved because of that experience, my leadership skills, my communication skills, my ability to handle, solve problems and deal with conflict, all things relevant to someone that needed to be successful in a given job. And that was all because the preparation that my dad had done for me. Um, right. If I might say rather quickly, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, be careful w- with your audience and whatnot, what I'm saying, but I'm highly skeptical of things such as participation trophies for kids because my point is this, is I fear that their inability to know what failure feels like or, or to not get something um, that was hard fought may not be teaching those future lessons they will need when they grow up. Do you follow what I'm saying? I do follow what you're saying. Um, there's a couple of interesting comments to that one, in fact, from my own experience. Yeah. One is if you talk to professional athletes, like at the Olympic level or coaches that train professional athletes, I had somebody on a couple of weeks ago who was doing this discussion, and as a professional athlete, you're going to lose more than you win. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to get comfortable with the fact that you lose some, not that you want to lo- you desire to lose, but that you take each loss as a learning opportunity. That's the exact same thing you're saying here. And when exactly. we take people's learning opportunity away from them by not having them think about what fear, what failure feels like, I think we lose something. Now, that said, I also think there's a way of making kids feel good about having participated while acknowledging the, the failure as well. Absolutely. And, and that's absolutely. A good coach is going to come back and, and, and debrief on what happened. You know, what could we have done better? What could we have done differently? You know, I played many years of 13 years of organized football, and the first thing we did Monday morning, whether we won or lost, was review our tape, our film, our video, to look at what we did, what we did well, what we can do better next time. So each game was a learning experience. So that, that's what I would say is, 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 you know, don't fear that loss. Don't fear not succeeding. What lessons can we learn that can prepare us for the future? Very similar to the situation my dad, you know, working at my dad's store helped prepare me for that difficult time, that difficult moment. You know, if you want to think, you know, further as a child goes down the road and becomes, a, becomes an adult, you know, if everyone gets the trophy later on in life when these same people are interviewing for jobs and there's, there's five people interviewing and there's only one opening for that job. Right. What are you going to do when, you've never, when you don't get the job and you never had to deal with that before? That's yeah. what I, you know, that's where my concern is. But I totally agree with you. A good coach will take those losses, take those failures as a learning opportunity. Right, right. And part of it as well. I think that one's an interesting. And I also think it's interesting this don't fear failure. If I bring it back in the corporate context, um, I watch way too many people run away from an adverse situation yeah. rather than stick around and figure out what it was they have to learn from that situation. So they leave too quickly. And in the, and I'm not saying they shouldn't leave. They leave too quickly, right. and then they go to the next job. And what they're panicked about is they're going to find themselves back in the exact same situation again. Right. And so right. they spend the next four years making sure that that situation is never going to happen again, where they have that same adversity appear. And lo and behold, an adversity appears, almost as if right. you manufactured it for yourself, Correct. because you were so afraid of it. Correct. So, Correct. So this recognizing that, you know, both the past positive experiences as well as the past learnings from adversity set you up for the next success, I think is a really important piece. And that's your whole message in this particular scenario. That's correct. You know, and, and I'll to be honest with you, my most difficult customers, my most difficult work scenarios is when I learned the most. You know, that story I was mentioning about a very difficult customer I had my last corporate job, um, that was a horrible experience. At the moment, I ended up solving that problem, and it ended up being one of my greatest corporate experiences. So good, I even use it as a separate standalone keynote now. <laughs> so right. that horrible experience not only helped me grow once again and learn valuable lessons, but it has served me 
even further down in my life as well, too. So that's the, that's the importance of not of, of not running from those things or, or not being willing to learn from them is you're robbing yourself of really good development you may need. So uh, yeah. I, I, it's oh. hugely important. Yeah. Um, Center for Creative Leadership back in the 80s, when they were doing their original research on what distinguishes the most successful executives from the rest, and, you know, a whole series of interview questions they did in that initial work. Um, and in one of the significant things is the greatest learning comes from the absolute worst manager of all times. That's that you correct. learn more from a bad manager than you learn from your best manager ever. I find that is fascinating. I know a lot of people would like to avoid that experience, but there's also a learning. I have to give one other anecdote, though, while we're on sure. this topic, Steve. And that is, I was fascinated by this one. Um, Howard Gardner and colleague back in 1995 published a book called Leading Minds. And I note that they have published a revised edition um, about six, seven years ago. But the notion was that they wanted to look at 11 leaders that had phenomenal influence, largely more indirectly than directly. So people like Robert Oppenheimer, Margaret Mead, and included Gandhi, and there were 11 of them in there from a variety of walks of life, trying to say what it was that was common about all of them and their ability to have this kind of influence. Now, I'm sure if Howard Gardner is listening at the moment, he's going to object to my statement. But the thing that struck me about all 11 biographies is all came out of fairly adverse situations as kids. It's as if that adversity created a drive and a passion around a topic for them. I know Madam Curie is the same thing as well. Created this drive and passion um, if you use it for the positive as opposed to let it debilitate you. That's correct. And that's kind of what I mentioned early on, the, the influence of those immigrant families in my hometown. That's hitting that exact point. Um, you know, we had people come from every – I grew up with every ethnic group possible. And uh, back in the day, they ca- I interviewed several of these families. It is utterly unbelievable the trials and tribulations they faced. They came here with nothing, not speaking each other's language, let alone English, and became doctors, lawyers, actors in Hollywood, athletic directors at college, colleges, business executives, entrepreneurs, lawyers. And this is a small town. This is not, this is, this is a small coal mining town outside of Pittsburgh. It is not Pittsburgh. But that whole point is these people came from nothing. They faced great obstacles and became great people. You know, they didn't okay. just survive that adverse situation. They thrived in it. It made them who they were meant to be. Okay. All right. So in this whole notion of being able to fall back on the past and use that as a positive, are there any tips or tactics you can give us real quickly on how we think about that, how we structure our minds that way, how we focus? Any advice? Yeah, I, you know, I talk about something, as I said, the first thing to do is, the first shot across the bow is accept and acknowledge. Accepting the difficulties are going to happen. Acknowledge that they're meant to be in our lives. I, part of my interview was uh, with a, uh, one of the most popular public speakers on the public speaking circuit, uh, circuit now. His name's Chad Hymas. Chad, I'm not sure if you know of Chad, but Chad is a quadriplegic, wasn't always a quadriplegic, but due, because of an accident on his farm, this all happened. And I asked him, you know, what was, uh, how do you view adversity? And his whole point was this. It's the lens with which you choose to view adversity. If you choose it to be an, as an obstacle, it, it will continue to be an obstacle for you. If you choose it to be something you can learn from, then it will be, uh, that you can learn and use to your advantage, it will be just that. And hence, he has used his accident to help educate and motivate other people who have had adverse situations as well, too, or helping them learn how to deal with those adverse situations. So in my book, I talk about several processes, really if you, to, to fall back on those learnings, but also to create new learn, learnings as well, too. So um, I talk about something called a situational debrief that can help us not only um, deal with something ad- that, that happens immediately so we can begin those lessons, but we can also fall back on those past times and reconnect dots 
between what had happened in the past that may not have ended well and how can we relook at that in a positive light. Great. That is a perfect pause for a break. So let's take a break at this moment and then come back to talk about what does the situational debrief look like and how do we go about doing it. So again, with me today is Steve Gavatorta, the book In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Successes. Steve works with companies to empower individuals and organizations to identify, develop, and exceed performance goals, whether that's a small company or an extremely large one. Um, We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Steve Gavatorta. The book we've been talking about is In Defense of Adversity. And the notion is adversity happens to everyone. It's a matter of what you choose to do with it. Yes, there's an emotional response from the limbic system, but you can choose to engage your cortex and to create some learnings and evolve into the person you were meant to be. The tricks in order to deal with adversity are first accept that adversity happens to everyone and acknowledge that it's an opportunity for you to evolve. That's a check your framework, a mindset about it. Second is to know in advance what it is that's likely to be your triggers. And the third is to be able to fall back on your past experiences in a positive way. Now, we were just talking about how do you do that? How do you understand what past experiences to bring to bear? And Steve said one of the techniques is a thing called situational debrief. Okay, Steve, what is this and how do we do it? Okay. Yeah, situational debrief is a four-step process that can help me immediately uh, build those learnings, build those experiences. If something happens in a moment, or I can go back and reconnect dots on past experience and help me see the good, the positive things, the learnings. So it's a four-step process. The first step is capture the adverse situation in full. Write it down. Write it on a sheet of paper, everything that happened. Get back into that emotional feeling at the time or what you are feeling in the moment if it's a current thing. Just capture everything you can in, the, in that situation. Get back in the moment. Second part is review or capture what were the outcomes of this situation, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, again, it doesn't always have to be a, uh, everything ended well. That's when we're going to le- learn our most when it doesn't end well. So capture all the outcomes that came from this particular situation. Three, capture the key learnings. What lessons did you learn? Once again, good lessons, bad lessons. And the third piece, simply put, is what's your solution or plan of action for how you, how you would have dealt with this now that you know what you know? The whole point of this is, is to deal with this adverse situation in that cortex state of mind, that rational state of mind. So uh, let's take it for the current moment. An adverse situation just struck. I'm going to walk through these four steps to determine how I'm going to handle it or how I did handle it if I just handled it now. Plus, you can go back and use this four-step process for things that have happened in the past. I can go back to my 
summer from hell story I told you about my parents and me running the store and walk through the situational debrief process, and it is clear as a bell every, simple, every single piece of those four steps, especially the solutions of what I really did, not what I could have done, but what I really did. So you can use these four steps uh, to, to, once again, reconnect those dots to past experience, to make those negative things more something positive, so when something similar happens again, you've already connected the dots. You've already, you already know how to handle that situation. Um, I was taught, I, I use this in coaching a lot. I was taught this many moons ago in coaching, you know, making a sales call, whether it went good or bad. First, let's capture it. What did happen? What was good, bad? What were the outcomes? What lessons did we learn? And what things could you have done differently on this sales call? We're creating patterns. We're creating patterns. So once they happen, we can, uh, going forward, we can handle them rationally, logically. We don't fall into that, ad, uh, that you know, uh, emotional freeze, fight, or flight scenario. Okay, so let's take a real scenario. Uh, just today, I was talking with someone who put a proposal, something she's quite passionate about, in front of uh, the executive team, the global executive team of her company. And they said no basically. Yeah. Now, she and a bunch of team have done a bunch of work on it. She still believes it's the right thing to do. There are probably a couple people sitting around that table who'd actually agree with her, but they basically said no. Yeah. Now, if I walk through this four-step process as her or with her, I would have her sit down and write what actually happened. Who said what? I mean, do I get to that level of detail as well as what she feels about it? Yes, everything. Absolutely. Capture that situation in full. Who said what? How I felt about it at the time. You know, because if you can, I don't want to interrupt you, but if you reconnect those dots, she may feel someone said something negative and she felt a negative emotion about it, which may have spurred other negative things to happen. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yep. Mm -hmm. If she can go back and revisit that, (laughs) she may have realized, oh my goodness, I or a teammate felt this way and we responded a certain way, that may have been the thing that kicked that off. So yes, capture everything in full. Okay. All right. And then it's important to do this in writing, you say, because one that allows me to go back and look at it and analyze it more objectively. Are there other reasons for putting it in writing? I just think it allows you to get everything. It's easier to get things on paper. You know, as, we're, as I said, we're in that crazy world now. We may tend to forget things. When I put things down on paper, I tend to remember them much better, and I can. Uh, it just it keeps things organized. Simply put, yeah. it's, that's yeah. the main reason why. Someone recently argued to me that writing is the best way of getting the emotions conveyed, yeah. and that there's yeah. something that happens in that process. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but there we go. All right, now so I've done, I've done this, and then you know she's gone through and written exactly what happened and who said what and how she felt and you know so on, and then I look at the outcomes, the positive outcomes and the negative outcomes. Now the tendency is to say it was all negative, but actually, as she's telling the story to me, there are a couple of positives. There were a couple of positives when people indicated, you know, you know, yes, we recognize there's been a lot of good work done on this. That's a positive. So we want to capture those to write those down as well. Correct? Oh, yes, yes. Good, bad, or different. Yes, everything. Okay, everything. All right, and then I'm going to go back to say what are the key lessons learned. Now, in my experience, when people search at the key lessons learned, they make wide sweeping uh, generalizations, such as never trust anyone again. Or don't ever take another proposal to the executive committee or whatever. How do you avoid that kind of sweeping generalization that isn't useful and get down to the real lessons learned? Yeah, yeah, and that's the point of the situational debrief is to try to not let us get into the emotional state. A lot of things you're stating, you know, do come from that negative. You know, and, and if that's where we may start getting emotional. And that's, you may want to not debrief this immediately, especially if you're feeling emotional about not getting it. You may want to take a step back to avoid those things. But once again, those key learnings can be written down, even if they are on that negative, because it doesn't mean because you've done the situational debrief one time that you don't back, go back and refer to it. 
Right. That may be how you feel at that time, but you can revisit that thing in a week okay. or in a few days okay. or a day later. Yeah. The key to dealing with adversity is get out of that emotional state because you are not going to see clear at the time. The yeah. point of the dis- di- uh, situational debrief is to enable you to see things clearly so you can see that key word or key phrase that you do and did indeed have options. Yeah, right. And then it's interesting, your last part is the solution, so the plan of action. And and in talking to her today, one of the questions I asked her was, okay, knowing what you know now, would you do this meeting differently? And basically the answer was no. Yeah, yeah. So how that's far a, removed how far removed was she from this situation? Um, it was a week ago. Yeah, so you would think the emotions out of that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. we started the call with a good bit of emotion. I think we ended the call with not so much emotion. We just just proof again <laughs> that going through this kind of process can help you get some objectivity. Okay, Steve, we have just a couple of minutes before we're going to close. Yeah. I, I want to end with your story about our lessons learned from a 14-year-old Thai kid in a cave halfway around the world. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was sage advice from a 14-year-old. I, you know, I was uh, flying back from my client in New York City, and we were talking about this topic specifically around, you know, a process, you know, walking through the situational debrief to deal with those difficult customers. And we were talking about this, you know, preventing the transfer of authority from the lip cortex to the limbic system, the importance of it. And on the way home, I'm reading the paper, and here is a story about those Thai soccer teams who were trapped in a cave. And I saw a quote from one of those uh, soccer players, 14 years old. Here's what he said about the team, trapped and under dire circumstances. We tried to be calm ourselves first. We tried to fix the problem, find a way out. We tried to be calm and not be shocked. This is a 14-year-old essentially saying, don't fall into the limbic system. That's not good. <laughs> so the point Steve, is, Steve, we're going to have to end. That age, is fabulous. Try to calm it? yourself first. It's great. It's great. Yeah. With me today is Steve Gavatorti. The book, if you're interested in reading more, is In Defense of Adversity. Steve, thanks for being a guest today. And everyone join us next week for yet another episode of How to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.